Jacob here from That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga we find interesting, aka the Over Manga Cast. This week we read the one-shot titled Goodbye Eerie by Chainsaw Man author Tatsuki Fujimoto. Just a brief heads up, as mentioned in the description, this story covers some pretty heavy subject matter. We had a real interesting deep dive into this thoughtful story, so we hope you join us and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Over Manga Cast. My name is Sam, and as always, at the top of the episode, we like to talk about our familiarity with the franchise we read. Though uh, this was a one-shot, so uh, not much franchising to talk about. Uh, I had known that this existed because uh thanks to our numerous experiences with chainsaw man i am at least tangentially aware of most of tatsuki fujimoto's other work but i had not gotten around to it so naturally uh matt had read it and now is subjecting the podcast to it as i am want to do (laughs) indeed So, so you know what matt as as resident expert uh what is uh what is your uh experience with goodbye airy I mean, I read it when it released it. It is a one shot. There is only so much um, <laughs> experience you can have. You either have read it or haven't. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty binary I mean, yeah. as far as these questions go, really. You know what? Excellent point. Jay, how about you? I unfortunately never heard about this, so this was a fresh read for me. And Jacob. Uh, yeah, uh, a bit of a look into uh, uh, my perspective, just so we have something of substance in this section, since it is a one shot. Uh, I tend to not uh, particularly care about uh, like authors or actors in movies. I try to uh, come with a uh, fresh face to anything that I uh, read or watch. So I didn't even know, like, you know, I'd, I'd heard in passing that, you know, that there is probably going to be a part two of Chainsaw Man, but uh, I didn't know of any of of uh, fujimoto's other um, series that he had done one shot or otherwise so uh when it was mentioned that this uh that this was uh one of the things that uh we should put on the uh podcast it was a nice surprise to me to hear that there had been other stuff all righty and uh yeah so that is that and i believe we can just jump right into it this starts off with uh, Yuta, a middle school student uh, who has been given a cell phone for his birthday. And at the behest of his mother, uh, who has uh, dead anime mom disease. In all fairness, it's not confirmed to be dead anime mom disease at this point. It progresses to that, but yeah, <laughs> yes. She has nebulous, unnamed illness that uh, could possibly take her life at any time. So she uh, asks to be... But won't because she needs to tragically degenerate over time. Of course, well, of course. It, it's pretty clearly cancer. Like, yeah, yeah. They yeah. never say cancer, but it's very obviously cancer, yeah. This Indeed. isn't the beginning of Full Metal Alchemist. Edna Now's mom drops over dead. I <laughs> <laughs> just don't say it's cancer. Yes, so uh, she is terminally ill and uh, asks Yuta to use the phone to record her life so that there will be something to remember her by after she is gone. And we're given a uh, montage of scenes of Yuta filming his mother in various uh, circumstances, various other uh, tidbits of his life, like his friends at school and a cat he found. 
Yeah, you keep bad recording cat. stray cats. I think now's a good time to also mention how the paneling is done in this. It is four mm -hmm. rectangular panels all on top of each other going down as if you're re like watching a smartphone screen. Mm -hmm. Like that is the ratio, which is also conveniently like movie letterboxed. Yeah, each each panel is an image from the smartphone. This is something that's like laced all the way through the entire thing. I, I kind of want to mention it now just because of the way I ended up like interacting with this element of the story. When Yuda's mother uh, like says, I want you to record me, the way that it's framed is that it's like, I want you to have something to remember me by. Like She says almost exactly that. Like, it's, yeah, like and, and like she wants like the way she phrases it is that my voice and the way I moved, I think, is something that she mentions. She also even in this first moment where we see it mentions that she wants uh, to be filmed all the way to her death. And my immediate reaction is. That's a really, really shitty thing to ask a 12 year old. That sure is something to put on the shoulders of a child. Yeah, and it's it, it's one of those ones where it's like my immediate reaction is, does the manga know how that is? And the really clever thing is over the course of the one shot, the more you learn about his mother, each new piece of information that you learn about the situation reveals that the reason why it is framed so favorably in that first time that you hear it was the framing of the camera. Oh, I, I love the way this one shot plays with framing. It's an entire thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's one of the two main points, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like a, a key thing. Um, I'll, I'll just point in here that I took away from it was uh, the only time you see something not within that like aspect ratio of a smartphone camera is the cover and the mm. cover is someone's hands holding a cell phone that says goodbye Airy by Tatsuki Fujimoto. So presumably you're watching the movie that is this manga on a smartphone is how it's like portrayed. Yeah, it's yeah, that's how it's framed. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. It It draws you into the into the fiction very elegantly. Well, and, and that's actually the other thing, because one of the big elements of it is it's drawing you into the fiction. And that's also a, a big part of the story as well, because um, it's kind of hard to tell what's true and what isn't. There's mm -hmm. this um, and, and this is outright, you know, brought up later on by the manga itself. But there's this layer of fantasy to everything that we see. And it does a really clever job of um, playing with the idea of how much can you trust what you're actually watching? Like there are some things that are so mundane, they can't not be true. Any it, it, mm -hmm. it primes you to question anything that feels out of place, which to some extent sort of helps and supports the the whole that's a thing for a mom to do to their child, right? Like, like it sets you up to to think in that way, and it, it it primes you for what comes later. You only ever get it from that camera perspective. I think I think some of the last couple of panels are in a slightly different ratio. Like some of the panels are slightly bigger, but like yeah, it I feels dreamlike at that point. I think also what it does is occasionally you'll get like panels that are like multiple panels put together. I mm. think that's supposed to imply the movement of the panel is happening between those two. Not necessarily you're no longer watching a movie because um, yeah. mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get introduced into characters who will get like full body shots, but I think that's supposed to be the camera is panning. We see the continued like montage of illness. Mom is about to die and we get the big like tragic scene of Utah 
uh, being called by his father into the hospital. He's just like, we should probably be there for her final moments and she wants you to film it. Mm-hmm. And then, you're really downplaying that request. It's like Yuta, <laughs> your mom said he, she wants you to film her dying. Yeah. And, and Yuta has a very understandable reaction. Yeah. Uh, he turns uh, and runs away. Uh huh. No, I mean, the fact that you've been filming her effectively, her decline this entire time, and the fact that he wasn't a- I understand from a child's perspective, it'd be difficult, but at the same time, um, I just kind of at this point, I was just like, even if he wasn't filming, I would still think he would want to be there. Yeah, that makes it more real. No, Mm -hmm. I totally understand why uh, why he can't handle it, because how does that make that more real? Because to me, that was like a point of like falsifying because I because for myself, I would be running away as being real because I would want to be there. Oh, you would want to. Yeah, Yeah. that's the thing. I understand his perspective because being directly confronted with it means that you can't mentally deny it. You can't put up walls and defenses. Um, One thing that the story will go into more and more with uh, Yuta is the idea that um, the way that he processes things is by putting a layer of fantasy over it and Mm -hmm. just seeing actual death in front of him there's nothing you can do about that that's just there and it you know for for him at his age he wouldn't have been able to process it so he runs away interesting Mm -hmm. yep running away means he never actually sees it and that means a lack of object permanence as (laughs) well honestly to some extent yeah that's it's it's plausible deniability it allows him to he know he never saw his mother's corpse. Uh, there is a fantastical uh, slim possibility that she made a miraculous recovery and uh, ran away from the family. And that's why he never saw her again. It like, obviously it's, it's not, not logical, it, but it, yeah, and it's not logical, but it's a child's mind. So I know I'm just saying like, okay. Yep. And then the hospital explodes. Yeah. Cause uh, we find out that this entire first beginning yeah. set that we've been watching has been edited for a school festival and it's on a screen as Yuta is running away from the hospital exploding and like we then cut to the entire school auditorium looking in disgust at frankly what this movie was like they're like what yeah and I shared their disgust because it was inappropriate I mean I just what yeah what in the goddamn is this well see my immediate reaction is and i was actually like i can understand the students reacting that way but when the teacher reacted with with such little empathy my immediate thought is oh that is a cry for help like that is the most blatant cry for help i have ever seen this is Mm. someone who cannot handle what happened and is asking for someone to help him process this and you know i don't think he's asking for help well he's not asking for help that's why it's a cry for help like it's, yeah it, he's yeah. not consciously aware of like that he I needs pro- yeah i didn't process this well i've made a movie that well it, I, I think it's really clear the first movie he makes he has the explosion because he didn't like the ending as it was so he gave something cool because he'd rather have that than the real than ending, what which real is hap- his, yeah his mom yeah. died <laughs> like it's I don't know. I just think I, I don't know. I, I think at 12, there'd be a different stage of maturity than this. 
I don't know. I mean, everyone matures at different rates. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just what I, my overall thing is I didn't really I guess relate to it the way you guys did because I it, I don't know. I mean, hey, <laughs> that's how it happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah I that, mean, like that's how it be. Yeah, no, I mean, like th- this is a this is very much a case where I mean, th- this isn't how I processed when I lost uh, my parents, but um, like I can understand the thought process. The way that I handled loss in my life was more clinical, but when it comes to other things, like you know, like me being sick or um, you know, like some kind of uh, difficult situation that I had that I you know have to get myself out of. There are a lot of cases where I will just put on blinders and pretend bad things didn't happen or mm. or create a scenario in my head that is completely fantastical and wrong and not true as a way of keeping myself from panicking about it. And so whilst uh, whilst the the death of the power, I've dealt with that in a different way than the main character. When it comes to other problems in my life, I've done the same thing to my own detriment at some in some cases. So I felt nothing but sympathy for poor Utah that, you know, something as extravagant as as the explosion at the end to me is a call for attention and he needs help processing his mother's passing. And, you know, it, it, it's very much the case where it's like, not to say that, like, I, I hate the teacher or anything, but like, buddy, your job is to recognize those sorts of things. <laughs> like, I really kind of got mad at him for. I, I, uh, I, I think the teacher isn't so much. I don't know this. Is the education system is the responsibility to report the same in Japan? Because well, yeah, we're, that, pl- we're placing I, I a lot no of. Idea. A, a lot of like yeah. expectation that the teachers would have the psychological training to you know look for these things in these students. Nothing, and were... it, yeah, that's that's a fair point. I guess I guess the uh, point would be if nothing else, that should be a standard. Also, and it, uh, in all fairness, the teacher's response is actually pretty subdued. I, I think you might be conflating it with what his like peers' response are because they rip into him about his. The teacher's more like. I really shouldn't have let you show this at a thing. This was not going to go over well with a middle school audience. Like you, this is heavy material. This is not meant to be like shown like that. And then you end it with an explosion. And now we're going to move on really quickly. Let's get out of here. I guess it's, I guess it's it's him losing patience at the end is what bugged me about it. Yeah, he kind of does the whole thing about like, He's trying to tell him how to feel in his grief is just like, you can't make light of your mother. Like, what, how would you want think your mother would want you to feel? Which actually knowing what we know about Utah in the end is like, well, maybe don't say that to him. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, Utah at a very delicate part in his life um, has just been thoroughly rejected by his peers. Um, the mm-hmm. thing he put a lot of effort into was mocked. Uh, so, um, he does what a middle, he's not doing great. A middle schooler in crisis thinks is a viable thing is also an artsy middle schooler in crisis because his plan is to kill himself by throwing him off the roof himself off the roof of the hospital where his mother died to be poetic. Like he he is filming it. Yeah. He's doing it for artistic reasons to be like, yeah. And he films himself confessing that like, Hey, this is basically my suicide note. I'm going to go do this. And then films him like walking up to the rooftop and uh there's such a middle schooler mentality of uh in this like you know video form of a suicide note asks his father to show the video to the people who made fun of them and like yeah oh that Mm -hmm. that's so painful to hear 
Yeah. I feel so bad for it because like none of this is right, but oh, he's he needs help. He really does. Conveniently. There Conveniently. is help. Yeah. As uh he gets to the top of the hospital, he gets to the top of the hospital and he's about to, you know, do the thing. And there is a girl just get up standing there leaning on the rail who's like, hey, if you're going to do this, could you at least not do it here? It'll, it'd really ruin the hospital's reputation, and they're at least decent here. There's a hospital down, there's a hospital on the other side of town where the doctors are all jerks. You could do it to them. Which, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he, he has a very understandable response <laughs> of uh, basically nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what? Hey, wait a minute, aren't you the kid who made that movie? Uh, the, the one about his uh, mom dying? Yeah, that was me. All right, come with me. Wait, what? And she drags him off through town. We get several uh, panels of just silence of just, you know, just looking at this girl's back as she's leading him by the hand through the city and uh, to an abandoned factory. <laughs> and, just uh, uh, pull it, pulling, uh, pulling this uh, young teenager. Uh, he's same age. Yeah. yeah. They're the same age, but it's like pulling this uh, young boy yeah, into. I, actually, uh, real, I realize I don't know how much time has passed since he started filming the movie because, uh, but like he's he's you know early teens. They're they're both mm. early teens, and and uh, this person is, is is pulling someone into an abandoned building. You know the panels of them walking through the dis- through the destroyed and abandoned hallways. You know all the glasses out of the windows. The floors are dirty. She, it, her pausing by a door, and you're like. Okay, Fujimoto, you're going to do another whammy panel? And it's them sitting down watching a movie. Hey, what's going on here? Shh, no talking during movies. So even who even are you? Is this place yours? I'll no, we're, you we're illegally trespassing. <laughs> I'll tell you in nine hours when we're done watching movies. And he just gives her a disgusted look, turns back to the screen, and then uh, presumably nine hours later, because the phone... Uh, the phone like frame goes black and then the next one is thanks for the charger <laughs> as the <laughs> camera comes back uh and this this isn't really the start of it but this is kind of where it's uh thoroughly established like one of my favorite ways of determining the verisimilitude of the scene kind of for lack of a better word is that when yuta is holding the phone and filming something uh his speech bubbles are are panel border as if to give a visual representation of the sound of someone talking from behind the camera mm-hmm. and even when he's quote behind the camera if he's supposed to be a character in a fictional scene as we'll see later his speech bubble is wholly within the scene uh we see that in particular when uh coming up a bit later when this girl who uh reveals that her name is airy uh uh, basically badgers him into creating another movie because she really liked uh, Dead Explosion Mother. It wasn't good, but it held my attention for that 15 minutes. I think we can work with that. <laughs> I mean, the, the important the important thing is that uh, she does understand that the ending of that movie wasn't farcical. It was a way of coping with something too painful to lay bare ah an auteur let's cultivate this so she says i was the only person in that gym who was crying and that's why you're gonna make another movie and we're gonna make all of them ball their eyes out at the next school festival several more panels of silence yeah i like the sound of that and one of the things i really like about the paneling convention in this is it 
serves uh, Fujimoto's strong suit that we see a lot of uh, in Chainsaw Man as well, of scenes of just people sitting there in silence. And because this is sort of a, it, it's emulating the frame by frame of watching a recording on a smartphone. There's tons of that to great effect. You know, it's it's paneling done in that way with intention, like it has the expressions carry the the intent of the scene more than words would be able to. And also lots of juxtaposition in this, uh, particularly at the page turns. Like, again, the uh, there's a scene later where uh, Ari goes to meet uh, Yuta's father and he says, oh, yeah, he'll talk your ear off. He's a real chatterbox cut to com- two pages of completely silent dinner. That was so funny. I, it was so funny. I, I chuckled out loud at like the same panel on two pages. <laughs> Only slight variations of like uh, Yuta's father, like raising up a cup to sip some sip a drink or whatever. The most maybe awkward. Aries moving her fork. It's the most awkward family dinner ever. It's mm-hmm. the it's the meet the girlfriend dinner. Yep. <laughs> it translated perfectly. <laughs> yep. But uh, Aries' new prescription to make him a better filmmaker is uh, he is going to watch at minimum three movies a day with her every day, even on days off from school, and he's going to become a a filmographer, a uh, analyst of movies. In order to understand how to make a uh, the sequel, I suppose, <laughs> to Dead Explosion Mother, all the better. Hey, uh, hey, guys, is it obvious that Fujimoto likes movies yet? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, gee, you know, I really c- I couldn't tell. <laughs> I was starting to get inklings of that, but yeah, no, it, this this is him going full f- uh, full film buff. Well, uh, <laughs> you haven't read Fire Punch, but Fire Punch goes full film buff. Uh, oh, oh wow, pretty hard. <laughs> We're going to we're going to get the escalating film nerd curve as we read in reverse order. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so after that, like training montage, um, he uh, Yuta's dad has been asking about Ari because his son is no longer super depressed and seems to be thriving mm-hmm. for the first time since his mother's death. So he's just like, yeah, bring her over to meet me. And uh, they have dinner and it's super awkward. And then he suddenly bursts out, I don't want you making a movie with my son. It would destroy him. And then they get into a long, drawn-out fight. Pause. The dad turns to you to, so is that a good take? (laughs) And cut. (laughs) The scene you just watched was acted out. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't real. And then, you know, after that, we actually get the real conversation being had where, you know, Yuta's father, you know, basically voices what we've been seeing is that, you know, Yuta in, you know, having this to focus on, it's it's given him the outlet that he needed. He's been happy since uh, uh, since the two of them have been working on this project together. Yeah. And yep. Basically, he then gets, uh, I think this actually happened before the dinner, but whatever. Uh, Ari has him write a script for his next movie because after the training arc, he's finally ready to, like, produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has consumed enough. Now he must produce. Yes. And uh, he writes so many scripts for Ari to keep going. They're garbage, they're garbage, they're garbage. What I liked about Dead Explosion Mother was that it was your story. These are all just stories you've heard before. I want to hear one from you. And he's just like, Mm-hmm. Okay, I got an idea. What about Dead Explosion Mother? But then I meet a girl and... <laughs> the extended cut. 
and he wants to make a better movie to show everyone up. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, that sounds kind of boring. But no, the girl's a vampire, and she's also dying. <laughs> so he has to film a second movie about this dying vampire girl. So that after not being able to capture the death of his mother, he can capture a death and then be able to move on with his life. Mm-hmm. And Ari's just like... We can work with that. <laughs> I'm the vampire girl, aren't I? Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> I've already been recording you constantly, so it would save us. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is. Uh, then the inevitable happens, I suppose, as it is revealed that Ari is also terminally ill at a beach. Why do all Fujimoto's uh, heartbreaking scenes happen at beaches? <laughs> Come on. My favorite part is in the montage with uh, filming with Ari after it's revealed she's got a terminal illness. There's a great scene where they go to the aquarium mm. together, and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing I really liked about the beach scene is that this is really where it starts to layer on the how much is truth, how much is fiction elements of it, because mm-hmm. it's not overtly clear. Like, even, even all the way to the end, there is a non-zero chance that that beach scene was stayed Mm -hmm. like like regardless of uh what you believe by the by the reveals at the end of how much is a pinch of fantasy and how much really happened it's basically impossible to know whether or not that that scene happened organically or if that was part of the movie and Mm -hmm. it really it really sucks you into that world and that mindset because like it it takes it takes reality out of the equation and puts you in a pure emotional state. Yeah, especially because uh, it plays more with that speech bubble thing that I mentioned earlier, like uh, from being behind, which the I camera. hadn't noticed, by the way. That's really cool. I've been I've been flipping through the pages, <laughs> noting all the places I missed that detail. Yep, uh, because on the beach scene, um, Yuta starts talking to her about, hey, if you're a vampire, how can you be out in the sunlight? Oh, a little bit doesn't hurt, That, but I spend most of my time inside watching movies anyway. And Aerie's responses are sandwiched, are, are like a, a weird blend between the two panels where it's like the bottom of one panel and the top of another form a speech bubble of what she is saying. And it's like, we've already established that when Utah's speech bubbles are merged with the paneling, it's supposed to be real, air quotes, because that's him talking behind the camera. And when it's inside, it's fake, air quotes, because it's him in a fictionalized scene. Ari is now doing both. What? At the same time. I, I took that to be Arya's narrating a scene of them dancing in the waves together. Like, I don't think she's talking in these panels. I think that's her voice answering questions over, like, B-roll of her dancing in the waves when she then fell. Oh. Oh. It does end with, then let me drink your blood, which is dialogue, but, like... Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, it, it does the work to, to blend yeah. the fantasy and reality... And it's it's definitely mm-hmm. not clear on it. Like it's th- it's, that is one yeah. thing about this manga. It does not care about you figuring out like the truth of it. Like, that's oh, yeah, not... I was I was just going to say that's is... the that's the nice thing. You can you can try to figure out what's real and what's not. And that's a fun exercise. But what it's really about is um, how people process, you know, bad things happening to them. Mm-hmm. that that's that's the core that's the emotional core of the story and the thing that is meant to keep your interest indeed and like 
Speaking of core emotions of the story, uh, after Ari falls down and is she talks to Yuta in the hospital, going like, "Hey, uh, I'm not sick. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get better. This isn't something you get better from." Hey, I've got something to ask for you, and Yuta's just like, "I swear, if you." And she's like, "Yeah, no. Um, could you film me up until the exact moment I die?" And Yuta responds to that the way you probably should, considering Ari knows. Yeah. Yeah. How can you ask me to do that? Who would want to do that? Oh. And he runs home. Both fair things to say. Yeah, can't exactly uh, blame him for that one. And like, he runs home. He's clearly like crying in his room, just filming the ceiling too. And what we get from the dad is that this has been multiple days because he he isn't going to school. And he's mm-hmm. the dad finally comes in and is like, hey, I finally heard what happened to Ari. You want to you wanna talk about it, sport? Uh... Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, since uh, you didn't make it to uh, your mother's death, I um, I recorded it. You want to watch it together? Do you, you want to see? And uh, then we get a candid shot of the mother. Uh, what candid? It's it's very well, well framed on her. Well, yes. Well, ca- candid in that um, it is uh, not Yuta's framing. Uh, yeah, and it's her lying on the bed wondering where he is he won't come out of the car he doesn't want to watch his mom die okay that boy was useless until the very end (laughs) and um (laughs) hey jake you remember what you said earlier yeah yeah i love this because like you know like over the course like up to this point you know we've gotten little hints and glimpses you know like the fact that the the fact that the uh all the scenes that we had seen of her up to that point uh were ultimately framed as a movie is like okay so there's going to be a level of framing to the way that she had been uh treated up to this point you know and you know she mentioned a couple of times that she wants to be filmed to her death and the more the more overt you make it the more icky it becomes and then now we see the truth of the matter. And it even goes further where the father explains that uh, his his mother was awful. It seems at times physically abusive. Oh, I don't think it quite goes that far. He, he complains about she'll get mad and then give him the silent treatment. I OK, that's I'm sorry if by physically abusive, she means she, she smacked her 12 year old son. I suppose. Yes, then. Um, uh, yeah, well. I mean, again, this is a matter of framing because yeah. like one of the big things that I can't help but notice is his father going in and showing him this now, especially with how legitimately understanding his father was in a lot of the. Um, in the lot, in a lot, like, like there's the, there's the scene where he says, I don't want you making this movie with Eerie. And that's, you know, like, that's the like fantasy layer. But then there's the, the more real layer of like, like there's, there seems to be more reality because this seems like it's not like, like this isn't a take air quotes where he's like, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I do legitimately have my concerns, but I'm glad that he's doing better. You know, this is all going to be okay. Right. Um, his father seems more emotionally aware than to just show you to this right now. And there is the element mm-hmm. of um, how much of this is, how much of this is, you know, a expression of how someone, because, and, and this is actually also the point of this scene where when um, Yuta's father asks him, why did you make the movie? Why did you portray her so well? And he said, I wanted my memories of her to be beautiful, which what a freaking brilliant line. But there is also mm-hmm. the aspect of um, 
you know, it, it, because it is thematically fitting, and I have mentioned this in passing before, you know, I've dealt with loss in my life. There are some cases where I will look back on a memory of, of a loved one who's gone, and I'll look at it from the perspective of like, wow, that was really, I hate them, you know? And because of the way that this story is framed, you know, especially all the way right to the very last panel, you know, there there is that element of the literal aspect of like, was she like fully abusive? Because like there's a there there's a panel that implies that she, you know, that she hits him. And it's like, you know, your mind can immediately jump to was she physically abusive? But it's like, that's mm -hmm. how that's how a child might and earned like spanking or something, you know, mm -hmm. whether you know what, you know, how, however you feel about that, like there there's that element of um, it's the way that someone is remembered, you know, this is the dark side of that where, you know, it's very unflattering in this moment, all of the all of the scenes we see of Yuta's mother, I'm like. The point, though, is why the dad is even bringing this up now is because he's like trying to get him convince him to spend the time with Ari to continue making the movie because he's like, yeah, no, I'm the one who had to deal with your mom when she was dying and she lashed out because I'm sure she wasn't happy with the situation. Like mm -hmm. there's a level of a dying person is going to be upset. They're allowed to be upset. Mm. They may lash out at people. And he was the brunt of that. And like what he tells Utah is like, when I saw your movie, I was amazed how, like, nice you made her. Mm -hmm. it, it reminded me of the good times I had with my wife before she got sick. I get to have, when I watched your movie, I got a nice memory of her that I had maybe forgotten because I had to deal with so much negativity. And, like, he's, he's essentially saying, Aerie is coming to you because she wants to be remembered like that. She doesn't... She wants to have, like, one perfect thing that represents her because people are, like, muddy and people are nuanced and they're, like, good and bad and a whole bunch of things. But a movie isn't that. A movie is cut and dry. A movie is what you present it as. Yeah. And Aerie sees something beautiful in that. He sees something beautiful in what he did to um, Yuta's mother in the form of the movie. Yuta, to a degree, sees something beautiful in what he did for his mom. Mm. Like, there's a level of self-deception, I guess, but, like, it's in the yeah. same way you choose to remember the good things about people because yeah. they're pleasant yeah. memories. And that's kind of why I, I guess, did not particularly enjoy getting this bit of information because I felt, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it guess it comes down to what type of genre of movies you like, but I was approaching it from more like a documentary standpoint, so I'm like, this is misleading. Oh, well, uh... Don't let me uh, break uh, your heart on uh, how misleading documentaries can be sometimes. Well, that yeah, that's a that's a factor. And and again, the like one of the one of the big things that I took away from as a a theme of this story is how how people process something unfathomable. And one of the big elements is what what's established about Utah is that that little bit of fantasy that makes it able to be swallowed. It is something that he needs, you know, the first time he does it to a large extent, it really is a cry for help. But there is also that that truth that like this is how he gets past something that he can't take, especially at this point. The one thing for me that I really liked about um, the way that it was presented is it has those uh, it has those panels that are like it's all coming from a smartphone 
And yet at the same time, despite the fact that it commits to that the whole way through, um, like it still is this element of like, it's hard to tell what is smartphone footage. You know, like there are some cases like where you have to ask, like, how did the smartphone get there? You know, and it's like, you know, like there's there's cuts and edits and everything takes, you know, a hard, definable reality out of the equation and puts you in the emotional headspace of the characters. And that's that's like the whole point of the framing device. It, it's literally framing. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's literally framing. Yeah, I'm I'm learning a lot. I did not exactly <laughs> um, get those perspectives. Didn't, yeah, didn't get that read. No, not at all. I feel like this might be a little bit on the frustrating side if you're not looking at it from a more a more well, like, auteur perspective. Yeah, because it's like you said, you processed, you know, your own loss. I processed, I experienced loss for the first time at a much younger age, and I approach things similar to very medically and very, like, forthcoming. I, I So I guess understanding that people are different I just wasn't able to really grasp on to, you know, why would you run away from something so important? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Utah, Utah's way of dealing with something unfathomable is different from yours. And, you know, it's like it, there, there's that aspect that, of that's it. That's the way it, hard, it be. It makes it hard to relate to a character when that's kind of the entire point. Yeah, because I was like in my extent. head, like screaming at him, like, oh, my gosh, you're missing this. You're going to regret it later. Oh, my gosh. Now I find out you're ch like clipping chunks of your mother away from like, I don't know. I, I just... It's different. Oh, gotcha. Like you viewed the editing as like a kind of like a weird. It was um, detracting from the narrative or the story of like her life, I felt. And while I understand if you were making it from like, I guess, an art piece, which is obviously what he was trying to do. I was looking at it as the fact that these are also like you're wanting to keep the memory of your mother alive. Well, the memory is the whole thing. People are flawed, and it's important to remember those as the whole, as opposed to just editing out all the good parts. I think yeah, like, looking at it from a more literal perspective. I think that's also like a general theme of the entire manga, though, is like yeah, um, yeah. The, the mutability of memory. Like, nothing you remember is ever perfect. It can be skewed, it can be changed, and like... If you're already mm -hmm. aware that it's not perfect, why not, you know, why not fudge it a little because yeah. it makes it easier, you know, and it's like, you know, like that can be that can be unhealthy. But sometimes it's what a person needs to get out of bed in the morning, you know, to just get through the day. Yeah. Like, again, like the element of it's so committed to it being that you're seeing everything through the smartphone. But there are a couple of cases where there has to be if it is the smartphone the entire time, there has to be a point where somebody cut out a bit of footage of someone putting a smartphone down like on a stand or something and walking into place, um, mm -hmm. especially near the end. And this is, a, you know, like we're, we're, we're rapidly approaching that, but like how committed to its framing device that it is. I don't think that this is true, like from, from a narrative perspective, but like theoretically, and I, I suppose to some extent, this is actually, through of the manga itself to some extent, but like this could all be fake. This could all be made up. This could all be a like, movie. Even the crowd's reactions to his movies could have been staged. Yeah. But like that doesn't matter. Yeah. 
but that doesn't matter because it's not about the literal truth of what's happening. It's about how you feel about something that is too big for you to process. Sort of a sort of a meta commentary on narrative. Mm. We can definitely do a deep dive on theories at the end. At of the, the end, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are we are yeah. getting we are getting we are, on the way to it. Yeah, but uh, we've uh, we had yeah. a bit of a drama bomb with um, the reveal that uh, Yuta's mother's last words were, "My son is worthless." Um, so we get a nice uh, change of pace mm-hmm. with a nice uh, happy montage of um, Yuta and Eri enjoying her last moments and go doing a bunch of fun things, go into the aquarium where nothing bad has ever happened. Uh, <laughs> Never, nothing bad's ever happened at an aquarium. Look, next look, next panel, she's got a huge parfait. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. And like it, it then slowly degrades because it shows she's in a wheelchair at some point, then she's lost her hair, then uh, mm-hmm. it's them... They don't have the camera on them. It's facing up to the ceiling and they're talking to each other about like mm-hmm. what they need to do for the movie because it's clear Ari doesn't have much time left. And they're like, well, we've got all these scenes. I could show you what I've edited so far. And Ari's just like, I want to see the full thing. And Yuta's just like, the ending of the movie is you dying. So that can't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so my favorite part sorry, is... Um, <laughs> You to going like, hey, do you think we had enough kissing scenes? I don't know. You want to film more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really liked the, uh, again, speaking to the the sort of the whole uh, meta narrative idea of the creation of the movie as a way of uh, processing emotion. Uh, Ari asks Yuta, why did you make my character a vampire? Uh, I wanted to sprinkle in some fantasy. Plus, the first time we met, it was kind of serial killery. So... I mean, she also suggests cool. the vampire part. So, I mean, she planted that bit of No, he, he suggests the vampire <laughs> like part. Suggests it. She does do a lot of creepy things. Yeah, I thought if she sucks me dry and kills me, if it means I become sustenance for someone that's beautiful, huh. I guess I'm okay I, with that. I love that line so much because I feel like that's Fujimoto going like, yeah, no, uh, I'll put my life into my work. <laughs> Even if it kills me, <laughs> I've made something beautiful. Like Layers of reality element again. <laughs> Dear listener, uh, remember that quote because that's a key part of my theory of what's going on here. But we'll get back to that when we get to the end. Uh, it cuts to uh, why did we do this anyway? Uh, I wanted you to make a movie that would make them all ball their eyes out cut to the student body seeing the last uh image of Ari in the hospital bed and then next panel all of them are crying oh man and good on the faculty staff for letting you to submit another movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean they they probably I, I would hope that they screened it the uh this time yeah <laughs> probably hopefully <laughs> it's been a year they forgot <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, then we cut to a much different scene of um, everyone in class going like, that was amazing. It was really good. And like, he's getting the opposite reception he got the first time. Uh, and then um, Ari's friend shows up again. She was the one who... She was the one who was the harshest because a lot of people were like, huh, that was messed up. It was so stupid. I didn't get it. Which it was so the- sad. I didn't want to deal with it. And she was the one going like, I didn't care that it was sad. I care that you made a mockery of your mother's death. She mentions that um, because I also lost my mother, I can never forgive you for that. Yeah, and she shows up again and she's just like, she's Aries' friend. And I it's I don't think she's been mentioned, but she basically sums up their relationship right now is um, I think we were her only friends, uh, you and me, because uh, she was kind of a... 
much. Uh, you made her seem so nice in the movie. And also, mm-hmm. she wore glasses all the time. Yeah, she took them off when we did shoots. And she also wore a retainer. She also took that off when we did shoots. Well, at least you had a good relationship together. Oh, no, she shot me down. Uh, we were only a couple in the movie. Oh. Oh, then you kind of over-idealized her, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and then just more panels of silence. But I guess I'll always remember her like that, so thanks. And, uh, yeah, uh, what a stark contrast from uh, Utah at the beginning. Had to say that I kind of understood where the friend was coming from. That would be my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a few seconds to process it. It's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> yep. And then we have uh, another shot of Utah, some, some more black panels, some more uh, basically... Well- I guess this would be a black screen in the film. No, the big thing is like the last like scene we get is um, mm-hmm. some B-roll, a footage of his mom looking at the river and then like mm-hmm. him looking at his phone to turn it off. And then it's black, 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 black. And then he has that mm-hmm. uh, thing at the end of like um, having filmed to death, the protagonist w- was able to find closure and was able to move on with his life. The and, end. And, and keep making and be, movies. Yeah. And then it keeps going as uh Utah continues that that was his character in the movie. And uh it didn't really work out that smoothly for him in the real world because uh that's that's, that's the thing with uh narratives. They tie up neatly in a bow, but um, real life is never that simple. Mm-hmm. Uh he felt like something was missing from uh the film Goodbye uh Ari and he, uh, instead of making other movies, uh, he just continually edits this one story over and over again, feeling like there's just something missing from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As he goes to college, drops out of college, gets married, has a family, has a full-time job, goes through the mundanity of life. Like, he's happy with it, too. Like, he's it's not like he's obsessively editing the film. This is just his hobby now. He just hasn't made more movies. It's I'm yeah, stuck it, on this one. There I've, is uh, there is a very large extent that, like, uh, this is how he processed both deaths and that this, like, filter of a little bit of fantasy was what he needed to go on and live a happy life. But uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. For it, long. It, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't last, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we get a shot cut to uh, another confessional style recording of a uh, much older Utah uh, saying about how uh, one day he was driving the car and then an accident happened and his wife, daughter and elderly father all perished. He was the only survivor. Which is this is kind of where I kind of also was in disbelief because it's just too much, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was too extreme, which I understand that, unfortunately, incidents like these happen, but it was also just like, there was literally a moment where I had to step away and like, that is too, I like, too much disbelief right there. That's also kind of how it's framed, though, is he's like, as a filmmaker going like, this would be a terrible movie. But that's also like, like, but it's also the fact that he's like, but that's the point, Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like, now that he's presented himself as not like a professional filmmaker, but at least someone who does it casually, like at this point, there for me, my read of it was I didn't know if he was telling the truth or if he was lying to me. Like I, I was just like, you're joking right now. I think I 
like I'm able to believe it because it's that like not thematically appropriate. It that mo- but I mean, movie yeah, but doesn't his, feel but, like it's a part of a story. It feels like a tragedy that happened. But I mean, because of his past history of doing that, that's it for me. Like he has a propensity to over exaggerate or lie about things in the past. It it, it does feel melodramatic, but. See, that's what I mean. For me, the narrative was disrupted really early on. So it's like, okay, now you're saying something else happened. Oh, but it actually wasn't interpreted, should not have been interpreted that way at all. So there's more color to it. I'm like, okay, so there's other, this other element that piles on top of it that is very severe. Okay, I'm waiting for you to unpack this too. So it's like one after the other, he builds kind of, I don't know, as a storyteller, it makes him very difficult to believe. Well, there's a there's a surreality to it. And this is sort of why I say as much as as much as it's a fun exercise to try to figure out what in universe literally did or did not happen. It's about an emotional headspace. It's not about what literally did or didn't happen. And I'm not going to lie to some extent. um, (laughs) I don't feel like I'm digging up old wounds here, but like to some extent, the fact that this is so like like it it is at once has this like layer of fantasy over it but also has this like real life undercurrent like it's like it's it's like a pseudo documentary is the reason why it doesn't bother me which was honestly kind of my opposite problem with denji in our first episode of chainsaw man because that was just a narrative like that's sort of the reason why the the piling on top overwhelmed me like that that feeling that you're having jay is how i felt about denji at first you know yeah and i really like chainsaw man because it was like that like this as you probably can tell i i just don't not the biggest fan of yeah i don't like i I can't tap into this literary headspace because it just doesn't make sense it does not process for me well yeah it's it's not logical is the thing and the other thing is, uh, Utah is not processing this is the point. He is. Yeah, that's he's, the, the entire point of this scene is he's like, that was a tragedy. I am literally unable to deal with this. All it really did was knock into my head that the entire time I've been living my life, every time I've like suffered a great loss, I couldn't deal with it like one on one. I had to deal with it through the lens of a camera. That's why I'm doing this interview right now with my smartphone because I've decided I'm not going to deal with any more death in my life and I'm going to go kill myself where like this again all... an advocate for mental health because this is not healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. unfortunate it's taken him this long in life to process this or not process this. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's claiming Utah is a bastion of mental health here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah that's a good Indeed. assessment. But he he decides that he's going to go do this in the uh, in a place that still holds memory to him. So he goes to the old factory and to the old filming room that he had with Ari and uh, the couch and the projector is still there. He puts down his bag, opens it up. Uh, there's a nice uh, hefty rope in it. And then the projector turns on. It's the end of his original video suicide note. And then it cuts to a wide shot of him there with Ari, not uh, having not aged a day, sitting on the couch going, you you're a lot older than you were back then. And I'm like, 
Okay, Fujimoto Sensei, what the hell? <laughs> well, here here's the thing for me. This is by far the most overt case. Either we're out of the smartphone or there was a cut there. Especially because, well, for one, uh, it's a wide shot where it was POV an instant ago. And also, when he first walks into the uh, into the room, uh, we get a nice illuminated sp uh, shot of the couch where Ari is sitting. She's not there mm -hmm. when he opens the door. In all fairness, he does, as this is happening, go, this is a dream. And then there's three movies where a main plot point is seeing ghosts of people you yeah. used to know. Like, or, or being a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he ends on Sixth Sense. He's like, wait a minute. No, that one doesn't work. The main character was the ghost in that one. <laughs> but uh, Ari reveals the secret of what was wrong with the movie. Like the thing was what you always do, Utah, is you add a touch of fantasy to your, what you did. But uh, where was the fantasy in Goodbye, Ari? And he's like, well, I made you a vampire, obviously. And she's like, that's real. I am a vampire. How do you think I'm still so young right now? You don't understand. Human minds can only hold 200 years of memories. And when you get to the end of that hard drive, you've got to like reboot. And unfortunately, that looks a lot like someone dying. So that old body died, was reborn with a new set of memories. And I got that letter over there from the old Airy. And uh, luckily, I also had your little uh, video. So I get to remember the person I was. And more importantly, I get to remember you. Are, are you going to be OK with that? How do you? Go about knowing that everyone you know and love, you're, they'll, you'll watch them all die. Doesn't living like that drive you to despair? It used to, but now I have your uh, movies uh, to remember my uh, past self by and to remember you by. And every time I forget, I can remember again and again and again. It's pretty beautiful. Unless you didn't upload it to the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Physical media, everybody. <laughs> but um, she does hate when people talk during movies. So either sit down and shut up or uh, get out, won't you? <laughs> yeah, I will. Goodbye. And he walks away. They bid each other and farewell, then, never to, uh, as, as narration says, never to meet again. It's missing a pinch of fantasy, don't you think? He smiles, and the building explodes. It's a really yeah. cool explosion. <laughs> cool guys don't look at explosions walking away. Yep. And I, I have to admit, I laughed at this part, too, because it's such a good, like, <laughs> emotional, like, sudden tone shift it's, that you're just like, ha! Like, it is a panel made of catharsis, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was very confused at this panel, I'm not going to lie, because I was flipping through trying to figure out where he like left TNT or a grenade or something. It's not literal. Oh, I'm not joking. Don't look at explosions. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, he brought a backpack with him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was legitimately like, when is this? When did this happen? I'm missing something. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think 100 percent what, what we're uh, what we're discovering here uh, from Jay's perspective is an attempt at a literal read of uh, Goodbye, Airy is uh, not the best experience. <laughs> <laughs> Rather difficult, you might say. It was difficult. It was very frustrating. And I ended up not liking the main character. I don't necessarily think you're supposed to super like Utah. He's uh, mm. he's very flawed. Yes, he mm. is. I want better for him. You're supposed to feel sympathy for him, I guess. Because again, I like when do, he but I also feel sympathy for his dad and the fact that he couldn't also be there for his dad, who was obviously grieving. 
and I, I know yeah. he was young, but it's just kind of like, I feel like there should have been an inner dialogue there that was avoided. And that's mm-hmm. something that, again, was very difficult for me to, cause, like, from my point of view, like, we had those conversations. I mean, but, like, maybe that conversation did happen, and it was just really hard, and Yuta didn't want to remember it, because it was tough. And it made it worse for him. Yeah. So it wasn't filmed, and it wasn't put into the movie, the stuff that he wanted to be remembered. Because we're definitely watching an edited cut of what happened. Like mm-hmm. at, the, at every point, like the very nature of um, you when we find out that Ari wore glasses, that means every time she wasn't wearing glasses was a scene they filmed. Yep. I just also assume that, as far as I recall, there was not a single instance of. Airy wearing glasses anywhere in the entire no. one shot. Yeah, no, I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, and also she wore a retainer. Practically the page before we learned that, we have a picture of her like uh, holding her mouth open to, uh, to do the like, that, mm-hmm. you know, that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, surreality, uh, constructed narrative, um, emotions. Ugh, that it's a, uh, it's uh it's a tatsuki fujimoto work all right (laughs) (laughs) it sure is a tatsuki fujimoto work because it's like deep and emotional but then it's got like that crash like we skipped over all the times they talk about filming each other pooping like yeah it's got random moments of crass humor stuff that uh just has to make you laugh and you know when we were uh approaching the end of uh chainsaw man during our original reading um a couple of my friends who listen to the podcast, hi, John, uh, uh, started reading it. And uh, one of his comments was that by the end, Chainsaw Man kind of becomes a like a surrealist comedy. It's absurdism. And that is also kind of felt here. It's got an absurd nature to it. And it's talking about something incredibly heavy, the death of uh, a parent and a friend. And it's it comes down to this character not uh, processing that sort of thing, absurdism and absurd situations. How does he deal with it? It explodes. It explodes. He It explodes. He walks away. I can't fathom a situation where this is true. So I'll make it something unfathomable. It, you know, the, the, the explosion is a literal representation of how, this person, how Yuta gets past something that is impossible to accept. And another interesting note is um, in the original Goodbye Explosion or like Explosion Mother, um, the explosion effects on the hospital are like cheesy after effects things that he definitely like downloaded a rip of off the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the explosion that destroys the factory it looks like a full-on, you know, professional pyrotechnic display. So, in a way, it shows literal growth, uh, growth of, like, skill and time and resources. And at the same time, uh, sort of, it shows that, like, while he's, and instead of running away, he's walking away confidently, It he's he still processes these things in the same way. But this isn't a cry for help. This is him mm-hmm. moving forward. And like, that, this is him doing it the way he does that. It. And, and like the way, you know, the things that you mentioned, cause it's like, I immediately got the impression that the first time he ended a movie like this, it was a cry for help. He is in serious pain. He cannot handle it. Please somebody 
somebody help me uh was the way i read the first explosion and then this one um you know i mean sammy put it so eloquently that's why but the second one is okay it's over now i can move on this is something that is literally behind me and what's the point in going back it's all rubble mm-hmm. that's uh that's my take on it uh anyone, <laughs> <laughs> anyone else got final thoughts in mind oh, man I, oh. I guess i can uh go into my theory then if no one's else got something yeah go for okay. it so like i think a big thing my takeaway at least um is crucial in that like you mentioned earlier, Sam, we never see the real Ari, the like glasses wearing, retainer wearing kind of mean person. Like she is not in the movie at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like Yuta seems to think his relationship with the real Ari was like not even like notable. It was like, yeah, no, I asked her out. She turned me down. We moved on from there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's more like... I'm kind of of the mindset. I don't think either of his suicide notes were real. I think those were him being dramatic for the purpose of the movie because he goes up to the rooftop to kill himself. And that's where he meets Ari, who is already in stage makeup. Like she is ready to be on screen. Like that whole scene is very convenient that she happens to be there because that's how the plot of the movie needs. It's a very like... Yeah, we get Ari. Like, I, obviously, um, they could have met up prior and then set up, hey, let's make a movie that's going to ball their eyes out. I don't think he was suicidal. I think he does that for, like, dramatizing the movie to make it better. And, like, the throughput of all of it is that we he gets turned down. I think he's perfectly OK with not being in a relationship with her and accepts her yeah. rejection. And then Mm -hmm. he switches his love to the movie. He's in love with the movie, Ari. And that's where I get like the whole thing is Ari is the movie. And like the title of this manga is Goodbye, Ari is him Mm -hmm. finding he finally needs to say goodbye to the film because it takes a huge tragedy to really knock into his head that he didn't really process his own mother's death well because he was working on the movie instead. He was keeping himself distance from it. And he does the exact same thing with Ari. He Mm -hmm. keeps himself distanced from her death. He keeps himself distanced from her. And like, even after that movie ends, he keeps recutting it because the second he finishes that movie, they are dead. That is final. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why he's for like years working on it still. And it takes a huge tragedy for him to realize that was not healthy, which leads us to the second suicide note, which is framed exactly like the first where he's just like, I've decided to end it. Um, I think he literally says he's going to kill himself, but I, I think that's also just a play because he packs up a bag and then brings the movie with him too, mm-hmm. and goes to the abandoned place and he puts the movie on the projector. And that's when we get Ari shows up there. And I think that Ari is recuts of old footage because basically all she ever talks about isn't like anything personal to uh, Utah. It's all her vampire backstory that got cut from Goodbye Ari. Like Mm -hmm. there's just a montage of happy memories and then she dies and then the movie ends. And then we cut to her having all this vampire plot line resolved because he needs to finish the movie. Yuta realizes like this is him not processing and he needs to move on and he needs to give up the movie. It needs to end so that he can like process grief. He needs Mm -hmm. to accept finality. And that's where we get like he goes to the like place where he like met Ari to kill the movie 
and that's where we get the final scene where um like the main crux of this uh is like well no also earlier i mentioned the quote like I give all my sus like I don't care if something takes all the life force and sustenance from me as long as I make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. He has been giving this movie his life force for years now, and it's it's f- time to just let it exist as something on its own because he needs to move on. He can't let it keep sapping him dry. And like that's when we get like the final line is um, Utah going to the audience after saying goodbye to Ari, goodbye to the movie, he leaves and he's just like, I realized why I had been recutting the movie over and over again. He Mm -hmm. wasn't processing the grief. He wasn't accepting the finality of it. So he goes out with a bang. He leaves it behind and it ends with an explosion. And like, I'm also kind of of the mind that like the difference in um, after effects is I think he might have actually blew up the thing. Like, I think he might have burned the movie. He actually blew up the uh, the the building. Well, because like that explosion seems real as opposed to like the first explosion is very clearly like stuck on After Effects. Mm-hmm. So it could even be he needs to destroy it because he needs to move on with his life. He can't deal with the like tremendous grief he just did by going further into this. And like, yeah, he the ending mm-hmm. is a finality of goodbye, Ari, goodbye to the movie. I mean, that's my take anyway. I think it's a pretty good one. Indeed. All right. And uh, thank you once again, everyone, for listening to the Over Manga Cast. As always, you can find us on all of your social medias where we are at Over Manga Cast on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, probably a couple of others. I'm not sure. Uh, we are also have our episodes uploaded to YouTube. Uh, you can give uh, comments on individual episodes there. And we also greatly appreciate. Uh, any reviews you want to give us on your podcatcher of choice, they really help us out. Plus, did you have a take on Goodbye, Ari? Did you think we're all idiots and you are smarter than us? Uh, reach out to us at OverMangaCast on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I also would genuinely love to hear your takes. So if you're listening to this, uh, go reach out to us on Twitter. Or if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, comment sections right below. Yes, give us your theories. And uh, make sure to tune in next week because, ah, yes, at last... Uh, we are uh, going to be reading another one of my picks, and I'm very excited because we are going to read Berserk. Everybody loves giant swords. Yes. The Black Swordsman Arc, volumes one through three. So make sure to read that and uh, join us next time to do some uh, Rippin' and Terran. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night.